we begin this day, we, we wait at the events of the Christ child. We gather as a people of God. We stand today in breathless anticipation of a joyful season that has been celebrated for hundreds of the year, yet that astounds us anew each year. Our hope springs anew from the ancient vision. As we light the first Advent candle, let it stand for hope based not on wishful thinking, but on deep conviction. We believe, we have seen, we have received the promise and the great gift, and we therefore, in the midst of darkness and imperfection, we hope. We gather expectantly, joyfully, and with deep commitment, for we have heard that special trials is to come, and that soon we will see a new creation on earth. We are people of hope. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. It is a beautiful day on which to begin a beautiful season, and that is the season of Advent. Welcome especially to those of you who are guests among us. If you are a guest among us, there is a welcome card on the edge of your order of service. If you would put your name uh, there, it will help me connect name and face with you. Drop that in the offering plate when it's passed, and then... Um, uh, we'll receive it. It'll help me connect name and face. Also, if there is a prayer request any one of you have, place that on the card and drop it in the plate as well. Well, what a special service this is because the Shabanis are with us today. Now, you saw the picture on the back of the order of service from 18 years ago when they stood right here and uh, Karen and Kay flanked them and they lit the, uh, the Advent candle. It was the candle of joy on the third Sunday then. But uh, I asked Kay if she would invite them back, and it is such a joy to have, have you all back with us. Um, it is Halusi, it is Shkindia, it is Shashifram, it is Chifaida, and then Shashifram's wife is here, and her name is Medina. <laughs> but uh, that was pretty close, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you were just so little back then, you know, just barely here. And, uh, and now you're here, and, and 18 years later, and Kay has been a part, and, and uh, Mother Braswell, what did you call Kay's mother? Was it Ma Mother Mary Ellen? And uh, I just can't tell you how, how, what a gift it is, uh, Halusi for you and your family to be here today. 
As we uh, walk through the service, there are three scriptures that we will read. The last one is the gospel lesson. It's often called the little apocalypse from the gospel of Mark, as he speaks of the end of time. The second lesson will speak about our relationship as Christians in the church. And the first lesson is the one you're about to hear. It um, comes from the writings of Isaiah, near the end of the book of Isaiah. And with great honesty, he first talks to God and, and, and says, God, you need some better advice on how to be God. And so Isaiah does that first. And then secondly, he has another conversation with God and says, you're not the God you used to be. Nostalgia is the key to the future, God. And then the last thing he does is blame God for their sins. It's your absence that's the fault, that's at fault. So he walks through this, but then the text turns with a conjunction. And yet, and yet. And then it's like his soul opens up, as do ours, as do our hearts. And so we listen with open ears, as well as open hearts. Welcome. Sin blinds our eyes to the presence of God, and yet throughout our lives we are like clay in the potter's hand. A reading from the book of Isaiah. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down, and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like the one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay a hold of you. For you have hidden your face from sand, have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember us for our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Here ends the first lesson. And now let us say our prayers. Loving God, on this first day of Advent, we thank you for forming us in your image and for reforming us anew each and every day. Help us be awake attentive, and alert to your presence. We seek you in the most unlikely places, as a child in a stable and in an empty tomb. Speak to our hearts and shine in our lives that your presence and love may emanate from us to all we meet. May you hear our prayers this morning that come from the unlikely corners of our lives. Give us ears to hear, O God, and eyes to watch so that we may know your presence in our midst during this holy season of joy as we anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. It is in your most holy and precious name. Amen.
The people of God have all we need to love God and serve people. We wait and watch for God among us. A reading from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to, re- to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. So quiet. Right. Okay. I'm glad y'all are here this morning. I brought a few things with me. I brought some tea, specifically stress relief tea. Some coffee. Who likes coffee? Anybody? No? And some ear headphones, earbuds. All of these things help me stay awake. What do you do when you want to stay awake? Anything? Yeah. You open your eyes. That is, that's a good one. That is right, yes. What about on Christmas Eve when you're so excited for Christmas morning for Santa to come? How do you stay awake? You look at the presents. You, you maybe imagine what could be in them. You go to sleep. Maybe you go to sleep to get there quicker. Maybe. Well, in the Bible, there's a story that talks about being awake, being alert and watching, watching for Jesus. And so all of these things that I brought... They help me stay awake. They give me energy to be looking for things. And in this season of Advent, we start Advent today. It's the time leading up to Christmas Day, when Jesus is born. In this season, we should be staying awake. We should be alert and watching for Jesus all around us. We can look for Jesus in the lights on the trees, in the ornaments on the trees, in the people around us, and in the songs we sing. So over the next few weeks, be looking for Jesus. Be awake and be alert. Find things that can keep your mind attentive and listening to where God and Jesus might be working. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this exciting season of hope, joy, love, and peace. I pray that we will... Be awake and alert and be looking for Jesus all around us and in the people around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Their seats. I want to introduce the next hymn we're about to sing. It's an Advent hymn, and those of you who know hymnals know that there are not a lot of Advent hymns in hymnals. But this is a new one. 
This one is on uh, page number 138. It's a new tune and a new text for most of us. The choir will introduce it by singing stanzas one and two, and then we will stand and sing stanzas three, four, and five. Let us prepare our hearts as we listen. As disciples of Christ, we are to live watchful lives, a reading from the Gospel of Mark. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, 
nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. The Gospel of the Lord. I'm so excited that the Shabanis are with us today. I just still can't stop talking about that. I remember that after you had been in this country about uh, two weeks, or maybe it was even just one week, you were staying with Hartwell and Susan Dew. And uh, I came over for supper one evening. I don't remember who else was there. And so everyone was trying to explain to you what I am. I said, what I, what I do, which I'm still working on that. But, uh, you know, the word minister or clergy or pastor. And Halusi, I remember you had a uh, translation dictionary. And you're trying to figure it out. And then finally it was like, I think I know. And you open it up and look down and look down. And then there is the word priest. And he, you showed me this. And I turned to everyone in the room and said, he thinks I'm Tom Conley. <laughs> but you, love, you loved me, and you loved us, and we certainly have loved you. So thanks for being here this day. Uh, I think it says a lot about me, but I'm starting to uh, identify more with the, the grumpy old men in the Bible. Uh, you know, the... The, the way we talk about things, the way we speak our mind. And the old man du jour today, the grump du jour, is Isaiah. I want to preach from Isaiah, and I'll wrap in the gospel lesson. Those of you who are scholars uh, know that some scholars think that there were at least three Isaiahs. The original Isaiah was the one before they went into exile, and he wrote, there was a Deutero, or Isaiah number two, who during the exile uh, had observations, experiences with God and the people, and wrote. And then Trito Isaiah, or the one that we heard read earlier in the service. That's the last one who, by the time the exiles come back to Israel, there they are, there they are as the native sons and daughters, so to speak, though generations later. And when they get back from exile, they discover that they are still exiles in their own homeland, that it was a different world than the world that they were born into. 
That may be one thing that we grumpy old men say a lot. Of, well, this isn't the world that I was born into. Things are a lot different now than they used to be. And that is exactly what old grumpy Isaiah, Trito Isaiah, does. He starts the text by saying, first, I'm going to rant. And he becomes God's advisor and says, you should tear open the heavens and come down. You should make the mountains quake. You should send a devastating wildfire, and you should make the nations tremble. In other words, Isaiah is saying, God, you don't understand what it's like in this world. You need to do things our way. You need to fight fire with firepower. What you need to be is a more weaponized God. But after all of Isaiah's ranting and advice, God doesn't react. Then Isaiah tries another wave. He tries to shame God with nostalgia. Isaiah, quote, Back in the day, you did mighty deeds which surprised us. Back in the day, you came down and the mountains would quake. Ah, those were the days. Now, since I'm moving toward... Well, maybe I'm already there as an old man. I am enjoying uh, rubbing nostalgia into the ears of my grandsons. It's one of the luxuries, you know, of aging. So that I get to say things to them like, well, you know, why why back in my day, you had to get up out of the lazy boy and go to the television and change the channel. They go, really, Papa? Yeah, it was that tough. And we had to walk in the snow, uh, uphill both ways, and do so barefooted. Really, Papa? Yeah, things were different back then. As Isaiah looks around his world and sees what's happening, I think his saying in the original uh, Hebrew is, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Now, I don't know what what people said before they believed in hell or before handbaskets were invented. But we sure say it a lot now, don't we? It's pretty much what Isaiah said to God. It's also pretty much what the writer Mark said in that chapter that was read earlier among the people. It comes from the text that is called the Little Apocalypse. While uh, Mark is speaking of some of what's going to happen at the end of time, and he does so in metaphor and analogy and imagery. In this text, he says, the moon is going to fade, the sun will stop shining, and the stars will fall. In other words, Mark is saying, the world I'm living in is coming to an end. And that's his lament. The world I'm living in is coming to an end. But the thing is, that's what worlds do. They end. And with a world ending, it's always a new beginning. With a death, there is a resurrection and a birth. In fact, every Christmas Eve, I stand right there and read that text from Revelation that says, God is making a new heaven and a new earth because the former heaven and earth have passed away. We all need to come to worship and at least do some lamenting, I think. As we read the news, 
hear what's happening in our country and around the world, it feels like an unraveling of ideals and values, of ethics and morals, of more bad behavior and bullying from top to bottom. It seems to me sometimes the light of Lady Liberty is in danger of being snuffed out. It also seems to me that there's an undercurrent, an undercurrent of animosity afoot. I think at times when there's the next week's mass shooting, when there's gun violence, and then we always point to and also the mental illness that goes along with it, I think there's something else to point out that's more subtle and more invisible. I think it is something like this low boil of cultural animosity that infects and affects us all. It's just that that low boil symptomizes in the most emotionally vulnerable and the least able to self-regulate. Plus, having guns everywhere doesn't help. Oh, for the good old days, says Isaiah, when things were better. He tries to nuance nostalgia, but God doesn't bite that hook either. And then he moves to the third thing. He tries blame. And I think this is pretty creative. Isaiah says, God, the reason we acted out and sinned is because of your absence. If you weren't absent, we wouldn't have sinned. It's uh, kind of a funny argument, but you hid yourself, he says, and so we transgressed. In other words, it's not the devil made me do it. It's God, you made me do it through your absence. But through all of these one and two and three things, God remains non-reactive. In fact, finally, Isaiah runs out of countermeasures. He's all tuckered out. His complaining and shaming and blaming has not succeeded in manipulating God. That's a good thing for us and for God. But when Isaiah comes to the end of his rope, his spiritual life is named unmanageable. In other words, for you who know the language of recovery, he is at step one. And because he's taken step one, he can then take step two, higher power. The, p- the pivotal conjunction is, and yet, after all of this, all of this, and yet, oh Lord, you are our father. You are our father. We are your children. You are the potter. We are the clay. Therein he prescribes the formula of the alchemy of grace. He had me when he said, and yet. That pivotal point sees his soul, his heart open. And before our very eyes and his, his grumpy lament is transformed into grace-filled hope. Maybe that's the gift of lament. And that's why we need to do more of it in church. Because in lamenting at God, it drains our poison. Without it, anger and disappointment get misdirected at other people. You see, God is built to handle it, and God can. 
when he is totally honest with God, then he's able to be honest with himself. And we see Isaiah evolve. He moves from seeing God as a mountain-moving, quake-shaking superhero to God as parent and artist. You are our father, and you are the potter. We are the clay. You recognize that image as well. He's borrowed it from Jeremiah's metaphor of the potter's house, of how God, like the potter, is always shaping and making and remaking even when the clay is lumpy and it falls apart in God's hands. The God of improv shapeshifts and continues to delight in the creation. Um, Halusi and family, God used you to shape us. That somehow of you letting us love you and your response in love has changed the shape of who we are. It just makes a difference in who we are today, and I am grateful uh, for you for that. Eighteen years ago, you came as refugees without a, without a home, but you found one in our hearts was your home. And now a new family, the Zeta family, has found a heart in our home. And let's see, today's the third in 22 days. Another refugee family will knock on our hearts. It'll be two peasant parents and a baby. Our manger-shaped hearts will hold the Christ child. And our ears will hear again the angel song of good tidings and great joy, which shall be for all people, all people. Where did the writer get that? Oh, from Isaiah. That's how this text ends. God, we are all your people. All your people. Yeah, Isaiah may still be mad about having to live in a world he wasn't born into, but he is caught off guard, as are we, by the alchemy of Advent, of lament and hope, of bread and cup. God uses these to shape us. Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation to dedication is given. We will end uh, Advent and Christmas with a great shout and sound, but we begin Advent with a whisper. The song, the hymn that we sing at this time echoes that whisper. We'll sing stanzas one, two, and three. Let us stand together and sing.
Well, whenever we gather, we bring our celebrations and our concerns, and I bring a few of those to you this morning. This coming Saturday on December 9th at 1 p.m., there will be a dedication of the home that we've been building for the last few weeks for Habitat for Humanity. You'll notice uh, in the narthex as you leave, there will be a, a new congregational directory. It looks like this. You can pick that up on your way out. There have been more copies of the missions bulletin, the annual missions update for 2017. I think we ran out last week. That's also available on the same table in the narthex. Advent, one of my favorite times of the year. And the first Sunday of Advent, I bring you several uh, Advent announcements and ways in which you can be involved in your own devotional life for observing Advent. Uh, one of those is um, the Adult Education Committee has provided a book of devotions that are available. Uh, we have some copies in the Narthex and, and a sign-up sheet. If you'd like to get that, see me on the way out. Um, our very own Steve Sheely uh, writes Advent devotionals uh, every week during this time of year. If you'd like to receive those by email, simply contact him. He'll add you to the list. Just got the first one this morning. It's fantastic. Um, also, therefore, our families, there is an Advent uh, devotional guide that will be available in the narthex on the bench as you leave. So families, if you'd like that to be reading along with your children, pick that up on the way out. One more family announcement. Um, also, next Saturday at 1030, we'll have a cookie, Christmas cookie decorating um, event where the children will be icing and decorating the cookies and then we'll be delivering them. So be sure to put that on your, your calendar. Be remembering the family of Chuck and Mona Steins this week. Chuck Steins' uh, mother has died. The funeral was last Wednesday, so please keep them in your prayers. And our prayers are with them, with the Shabani family, who we welcome back. It's so good to see you. Uh, and with the people throughout the globe. Uh, all of those who are suffering, uh, unnamed uh, people who have suffered this week, we lift them up in prayer to God. Our offertory hymn uh, is a contemporary rendition of two verses from Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 4 and 5. John Nesbeck, writing this in 1976, put these two verses to him, to, to music. And now let us continue the worship of God with the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Please remain standing for the service of Holy Communion. We will receive it today by coming forward, and we will be kneeling today. We'll be kneeling at the rail. If you are unable or choose not to kneel, that's all right. You can be served as well. It will be by intinction, where you'll take the wafer, dip it in the cup, and then eat it. If you cannot come forward or choose not to, but you would like a minister to bring you the communion, we'll be glad uh, to do that. And now, let us begin by reading the Sorsum Corda. The peace of Christ be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, mighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with all the company of heaven, who forever proclaim the glory of your name, singing. You may be seated. On the night of suffering and death, Jesus took bread. And having given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. And having given thanks, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. We celebrate the memorial of Christ's redeeming gift, O God, through this meal that speaks of both sacrifice and thanksgiving. Recalling Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection, we celebrate these holy mysteries. Sanctify us and your entire church, that we may remain faithful in love and hope as we follow Jesus Christ our Lord. And hear us, O God, as we join together in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. All of God's people are welcome at this table. Celebrate these gifts in remembrance that Christ died and was raised. And therefore, let us come to this table in thanksgiving and in hope.
please stand for the prayer of thanksgiving. All loving God, we give you thanks for having refreshed us at your table on this first Sunday in Advent as we have celebrated the presence of Christ. Deepen our faith, increase our love for one another, and send us forth into the world in strength and in peace, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.
And as we prepare to walk into this season of Advent with guests present that feel like homebodies, remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.